This is episode number 180. Learning how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable with Jess Shuralev. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lokhid and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming call called Courageous Conversations. This is something that we started a few months ago with the intention of bringing our community even closer, as well as creating a space for each and every single one of us to be able to not only better understand ourselves, but also those that are walking next to us. If you would like to know more details about any of these upcoming calls, please leave us a message through our website at overcomingodds.today. The second announcement that I'd like to make is in regard to our upcoming event called Survive to Thrive, A Parent's Journey. This is an experience that we've been wanting to put together for a few months by now with the intention of creating a space for other parents to be able to come together and relate as well as understand each and every single one of the journeys that they've been on as well as the lessons and the takeaways that they've learned through the hardship including COVID-19, as well as some of the other circumstances. If you'd like to know more details about this upcoming experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today forward slash events. The last thing that I would like to mention is if you have liked any of the previous episodes and continue to enjoy the content that we put out there, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Jess, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for being a part of it. And as I mentioned in kind of a brief intro to this, um, really grateful that you and I connected. I think it's been half a year, closer to a year. Right. All I remember is when we chatted, I was actually in Austin, and um, but I hadn't made the connection that that's where you were based too. So yes, probably about a year ago. I didn't even know that. So that's a good, <laughs> that's a good that fun fact to know. I, I did not know you were in Austin. I always thought that you were based in uh, in Chicago, even during our first conversation that we had. I am based in Chicago, but I was in Austin for work. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, I appreciate you joining this and uh, wanting to have this conversation. So I remember the topic you and I talked about last time when we started to talk about the parenting journey, which, by the way, I have to thank you for that because you definitely gave me at least a uh, page worth of all the different topics, themes, <laughs> and ideas also, that the stand-up comedy part to explore during that experience. And so this theme that I wanted to discuss is something that's been kind of prevalent in my life as well, as I'm sure you can relate. And that's this concept of learning how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. In my opinion, that's what life is. 
at the end of the day, or one of the things as far as kind of looking at it from a nutshell perspective. And so I really want to choose to focus this conversation on the parenting part specifically. And that is maybe one way to open up this dialogue is, is there a story that comes to your mind when it kind of clicked for you that, hey, this is what I have to do. This is one of the things that is going to help me be a better parent. And that is choosing to be comfortable in those uncomfortable situations. It's such a good question. And this is also just such a deep, meaty topic. So thank you for having a conversation around something that most people aren't comfortable having a conversation around. Mm -hmm. So for me, I often say that my journey to becoming a mom wasn't an easy one. And we went through a lot to actually eventually become pregnant and have parents. And I often say that that was what gave me my thick skin. And it would probably be easy to answer that my infertility journey was was sort of my starting point. But what I really want to focus on and what sort of is a aha moment for me is I went through a journey for infertility. I had my oldest daughter who was actually a twin and we lost our son. And then 23 months later, I had my second daughter. And through all of that time, I just put one foot in front of another and kept my head down and kept going. Until one morning at 6.03 in the morning, my husband just looked at me. I'll never forget this. I was literally holding my electric toothbrush. And he just happened to look over and said, are you happy? And in that moment, for some reason, I just blurted out the truth, which was no. And it scared him and it scared me, but I'm so glad that moment happened because it started me on this path of understanding that I had lost myself. I sort of had lived my life by all of these labels and it made me realize that the person that I want my two daughters to become or the people that I want my two daughters to become, I needed to model that for them. And in order to do that, I had to begin a lifelong journey of personal growth, personal development. And in that, I have learned that to be truly the parent and the person that I want to be, I'm often going against the grain of what is considered quote unquote normal mm-hmm. from a parenting perspective. Mm-hmm. What did you figure out about that initial question of, are you happy? What does happiness mean to you now? Such a good question. Uh, to me, happiness is living every day in alignment for how I want to feel. And for me, those core feelings are wanting to feel challenged. And originally I thought that meant like, you know, or strong. Like I, I was like, oh, like exercise. I want to I be strong. But, <laughs> but really what it meant was I wanted to challenge myself mentally, physically every day in some form. I want to feel connected. I want to feel connected to my husband. I want to feel connected to myself. I want to feel connected to my kids. And... I want to be, you know, surrounding myself with people who also hold those same values. And to me, the core values that I care about are vulnerability, authenticity, and um, 
being true to yourself. Do you think, so this concept of authenticity, and then we'll kind of get into the theme of the, the episode to begin with. I feel that at this point, in my opinion, it has become a little bit of a buzzword to a degree where it's, I don't even know if it's understood for what it really is. And so I'm curious to hear from your perspective, what have you observed? What have you learned when it comes to that in, in 2020? What does it even mean to be authentic at this point? I couldn't agree with you more, right? It, it, I, I honestly think even vulnerability has become a, a bit of a buzzword, mm -hmm. right? And I come from a world of corporate America. We talk about authentic leadership and being, <laughs> bringing your true, true self to work, right? So I get it. To me, in 2020, in the state of the world that we're living in right now, I believe authenticity is looking inward and asking yourself the simple question of how do you want to like how do you want to feel and then aligning to to feel that so for example I wake up every morning and I, I meditate or I do some form of mindfulness exercise and I ask myself that simple question and you know some days it's surrender some days it's you move your body, whatever that is. Some days it's, I feel sad and that's okay too. And I think for me, authenticity is for so long, I spent so many years shoving down my emotions and compartmentalizing them. And so to me, being authentic is allowing myself to actually feel those emotions, respect my feelings, respect what like my body is responding to in that moment, and then being honest with people about it. So well, I asked, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say what changed? Because I know you spoke about this as well in the in the bio that we've been able to um, put together for you for the event that we're going to be a part of. But there's a, there's a portion in there, and correct me if I'm wrong, I may misquote this completely, but you talked about how there was a certain portion of your life where you chose to, you know, maybe suppress some of the emotions that you were having and then you lost the key, mm -hmm. the box that you had it in. Like what, what changed for you? What, what, what did that journey even look like? Yeah. So um, I go back to sort of how I opened right with this story of I, I lived so long of my life of just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that moment at 603, when I had sort of that, like for the first time in my life, I was, brutally honest and didn't care about the impact to my husband. All I cared about was just admitting that I wasn't happy and, and seeking the help that I needed. And in that path, I recognized, cause I don't think I ever, no one ever told me like you suppress emotions. <laughs> like you, you just carry on. Like I, I think consciously I knew that, but I didn't necessarily put words to it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was going through the process of actually grieving my infertility journey, grieving the loss of my son, which I had never done, um, which helped me to unpack a lot of what I had been suppressing for, for quite some time and recognize that we all have moments where we felt alone or isolated. Um, some of us have lots of those moments. Some of us don't have as many and it doesn't necessarily matter but you know it was my aha of while it's scary and uncomfortable to 
talk about these things, it's really important to do so because on the other side, there is, I believe, an empowerment and being able to own your own story and own your truth. Mm -hmm. How does that loss transform? Like, does it ever transform into something else? Because I've been curious about that question for quite some time. And that is, you know, so many times I'll speak from my perspective, I'll go through the journey and I experience a loss, whether it's someone in the family or even a friendship. And there's this concept that I've been introduced to. And I think, I believe it's a conditioned way of thinking. And that is to just eliminate that thing, eliminate the feeling, move on, keep going. But I think there's also a value to be said when it comes to just approaching it and understanding that, hey, this is a loss that may stick, that may stay with you throughout your whole life. You know, it may take a different shape, shape, it may take a different form. In your case, I mean, do you still think about that situation? Does it still come to your mind or has it transformed into a completely different experience? Yeah, I, this is a really good question. And I think it's actually really important, like to also acknowledge like loss. I think many of us are, are grieving like the loss of life as we knew it pre pre pandemic, right? So it can take on lots of different forms. For me in particular, with my journey to infertility or with infertility and, and the loss of my son, um, I've chosen to carry that loss with me because I think for so long I did suppress it and never dealt with it. And being able to, I don't want to say keep it forefront. That's probably not the right way of saying it, but, you know, keeping it within my, my scope of thinking about my son on a daily basis, um, seeing a butterfly and thinking he's with me, that is part of my, grieving process as part of how I'm reconciling um, and also how I want him to be remembered. And so I think that can take a lot of different, you know, that can look like a lot of different paths for a lot of different people. But for me, that's how I choose to remember that loss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd, I've always just been curious about that because, and I mean, in you knowing a little bit or pretty significant portion of my story. Like my, um, my birth mom is one of the people that I kind of struggled with in, in accepting that loss or what it was, especially when she passed away. And <clears throat> the other part that was challenging about that journey was I felt that I didn't get a chance to say a proper goodbye in that chance. And so it really came down to, okay, how do I process this? How do I, how do I create space for her to still live? maybe not in the form that I remembered her or that she was, but, but in a completely different thing. And so I've always been curious about how do people process loss? What does that, what does it even mean to lose someone? I mean, do you look at it as loss or are they forever with you just like they were before? I think it's a very personal journey for, for every individual experiencing it. And it's also probably different for everybody based on what they're grieving, right? Like what that loss was. Um, I can say for, for me, I chose to believe, um, so when we lost my son, a good friend of mine brought me a butterfly necklace and she works at a children's hospital here in Chicago. And she was like, this is a symbol that we use at our hospital in NICU when a baby is lost. And so for me, butterflies have a, a significance, um, because of her. And so you know, every time I see a butterfly um, 
and now my daughters, my two daughters are four and two and a half, you know, they, it's part of our family and talking about like, they say, oh, Clark's here, or my brother's coming to visit. And to just sort of bring us back to how you opened of, you know, being comfortable in uncomfortable situations, mm-hmm. that's, that's an example, a tangible example of, I've had to feel comfortable with the idea of being open and having conversations with my daughters about my son, um, his name was Clark, and recognizing that it wasn't comfortable for other people in my family to have similar conversations or um, to even have my daughters talk about him. It made you know my immediate family members uncomfortable and I had to become comfortable with the fact that it didn't make them comfortable mm-hmm. and that was okay. Mm-hmm. So that's a really interesting point because here's why I've definitely faced this. I know hundreds of people that have faced similar situations when it comes to having some of those conversations with family members in particular that you may not receive the support that you're looking for. And so based on my experience of knowing you, <coughs> I feel that you've developed this thing about you know, that choosing to go against the grain sometimes, not for the sake of doing it, but more so you know that's the right path for you. How did you get through that part? Like how how did you develop that mindset in those conversations, especially where you knew that the people around you may, may not have been supporting you 100%? They might have been in agreement or disagreement or whatever, whichever way you want to look at it. But what do you what did you personally do? Like what, I mean... Was it difficult to accept that those closest to you didn't appear to be there for you at the end of the day? It was, it, and I think it was a journey. And you know, it wasn't like I woke up one morning and I was like, "I'm just going to give the world the big middle finger and just do what I want <laughs> to do," um, you know, and just say "f it" and go out on my own. I think that it was a lot of. Like, let's be honest, our society, our culture, right, especially around parenting, there is so much judgment. There's good parents versus bad parents versus the reality is, is we're all doing the best that we can. And, you know, that is going to look different for everybody because we're all humans and we're all unique and our needs are unique. And so it it is very much a work in progress. And I think there are times where I am comfortable standing against the grain and feel confident in that decision. And there are times where I know I have to stand against the grain, but it takes me a while to get to that point where I, you know, feel confident and I'm still working on that confidence to, to do that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, I don't have a clear cut answer view of like what my process looks like. Cause it's, it's still a work in progress for a lot of it, but I often, you know, what I will say about judgment in particular, whether it's from family members or from, um, you know, online comments, where, mm-hmm. however, however it may come from any form, I've learned to ask myself three questions. And one is like, who is giving me the feedback or comment or this judgment? Is it someone I know, love and trust? Is the feedback or comment or, you know, judgment, is it solicited or is it unsolicited? 
And then lastly, you know, I do believe that feedback is a gift. Maybe this is like my background in corporate America. You know, you don't always, <laughs> want, you don't always want to see, like, see the gift. Um, but is there, you know, if it's triggering something in me, why is it triggering it? What is that? What is it telling me? And just being curious. And, you know, that doesn't mean that I take, you know, the comment or the judgment or the feedback to heart. Um, but it does allow me to open up and be curious and then make a decision that's right for me. And typically I find when I sort of go through that process um, in making, you know, either making a decision or the ramifications of that decision, it helps to make sure that I'm aligned to, you know, my values and what I want to stand for. Do you look at most situations as feedback or criticism or both? I think feedback. Mm -hmm. I, again, this might be my like life in corporate America. Um, but I feel like if I thought about everything as a criticism, Mm -hmm. my lens would just be negative all the time. And mm -hmm. so I think I actively choose to think about it as, as feedback. And just like the way I typically live my life is um, there are pieces that are probably something that I can take away and things that don't feel right. And I'll just work with what feels right and leave behind what doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. The reason why I asked that is because for me, what clicked was however long ago, I started to look at a lot of conversations <clears throat> as feedback. And that's it, it really actually shifted my lens around people in general. It, it gave me an opportunity to understand that every single person I meet, every encounter that I can be a part of, it has value. It always gives me something to walk away with as far as something different to look at. But I, I didn't always understand that. And I would be lying to you if I said that I did. Because there were situations when I looked at it as criticism. There were situations when I took certain components as personal things, especially when it talks. I mean, something that I'm sure you've encountered, once you go into the self-development journey, it's all about self. And so in asking an individual, such as maybe in your case, your husband, like, you know, what do you think about how I did X, Y, and Z? And then receiving that honest feedback. It's something that you can improve upon with the mindset that you have now. But I just know that I wasn't always in that case. So I was always curious, like, how do people approach that and how do they view it? Is it feedback, criticism? And if so, like, what changed to make you want to see it one way and not the other? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really natural, right, to, to, to feel defensive, especially if it's personal mm -hmm. um, feedback or and or criticism, right? Like... I think it's natural for your um, instincts to go up or, you know, your armor to go up. Um, but for me, I have found, and similar to you, like in being able to shift my mindset around the fact that, you know, while I might not always agree with what is being said, there's probably something I can learn. Again, if it sort of meets the criteria of, you know, is this someone I know, like, and trust, you know, was I asking for this feedback and, and what, what in it is it triggering? Why is it triggering and what can I take away from it? Mm -hmm. There's another component that I wanted to address within that. And it's um, from a book that I'm reading right now called black Swan. And there's a portion in it today where he was talking about, I'm listening to it on the uh, audiobook version. And he was talking about how um, not every situation requires feedback. And I can't say that I'm there. I, I can't, I certainly can't say that I'm there. 
where I'm able to tell the other person I'm not looking for feedback, but ra rather I'm looking for a space to be heard or to express X, Y, and Z. I think just even the way that I've <laughs> been conditioned to think, that's a hard one to break away from. You know, in, in, not, in understanding that not every situation requires your input, your opinion, or your feedback to begin with. Do you, can you say that you're at a similar place, different? Um, <laughs> is, is it a work in progress just like mine is? I think it's a work in progress. And I think I tend to be pretty solutions oriented. Um, but I recognize that, you know, everyone just wants to be seen and heard. And so I think... Typically, when someone brings something to me, I am learning to ask the question of, you know, what do you need from me right now? Like, do you want, do you just need to vent? Do you need solutions? Like, what do you need? And it allows them to like step back and sort of like react, right? Like pause and and um, respond. And when I think about this from a parenting lens, I think that this is even more important because I think culturally you know, there's this notion that you're, as a parent, you are in control. You are in control of your child's behavior, their actions. You, you're, you're the one controlling that, right? And for me, again, becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable, I've actually had to shift my entire mindset around parenting. Mm -hmm. um, and this has been difficult because, you know, the way my husband was raised and the way I was raised was, was vastly different. And he his his way of being raised was very much like, I'm the parent, you do as I say, because I'm the parent. And I'm trying to approach it as, you know, they're humans <laughs> and like they, they deserve a voice and um, they need to be, um, you know, we I need to model for them like the actions that I want them to take, which is, very against the grain of modern parenting for the most part. I mean, I think that there are, there's, there's lots of different parenting modalities, I guess you could say, but being able to listen to my children and unpack actually what they need versus like immediately going into solutions mode has actually been really helpful for me. Um, both from a personal standpoint and then also from a professional standpoint as well. Mm -hmm. And I think you bring up a very good point within that. And it's something that you and I actually talked about last time that we had a conversation. And it's this concept of you are not your child's actions. Mm -hmm. I think it's very much in alignment with what you just mentioned, like choosing to draw the line, whatever the, that line looks like between the two and understanding that at the end of the day, they are human beings. You know, they're their own entities, just like you are. And so the course and whatever it is that you think and do, it's completely unique to who you are. And I, I know, so full disclaimer, I'm not a parent just yet. <laughs> but I, I Which means I you're the best parent ever. There you go. <laughs> um, but with that said, I, I could imagine how that could be challenging to accept. Because it seems that many of the journeys that I've observed and people that I had conversations with who are parents... For the first however many years, there's a lot of control of that journey, you know, wanting to help, wanting to do certain things because the child is not able to do so. So how do, uh, I'm, I'm curious through your lens and the experience that you've had as a parent, does that control ever stop? 
and and if or does it become something else you know is there a certain point of your life where the desire to control is no longer the same thing that it used to be when the kid was a toddler yeah i mean I'll be honest, like this notion of like um, separating you from your child's actions, mm -hmm. it's a work in progress for me. Like I'm not gonna sit here and say like, I have figured this out um, <laughs> yeah. by, by any means. Um, but I also think it's, part of it is respecting, right? Like I'm respecting the fact that my, my children are two individuals um, and have minds of their own and have um, opinions and <laughs> actions. And like a good example is my oldest, you know, she's four and she's learning to control her emotions. And I desperately want my kids to be able to like feel emotions and not right and not like suppress them because I spent so long of my life doing that. Mm -hmm. But my natural inclination, right, when my kid is having a temper tantrum is like, what can I immediately, what can I do? Like, what can I offer? How can I help them? And the reality is, is um, what they need is probably just to have a temper tantrum and just get it out of their system. Mm -hmm. And, but that's, that's hard, right? Like that giving up that like control. I think, you know, all parents feel this. I feel this, especially as a mom, like this, I don't know how to describe it, but this just like protectiveness of like wanting to do everything I can to to help them be the best version of themselves in the world mm -hmm. um, but also acknowledging that like they they have to learn some of that themselves even at the ages of four and two and a half and that giving up that control and recognizing that is hard like I I don't Again, I can't sit here and say that like I'm doing it all the time, mm -hmm. but I can say, you know, because my oldest is four and she's working through like learning her emotions, she's also, when she gets so frustrated, like she hits. And for the longest time, I was really embarrassed by that. I like, you know, when she would hit like outside playing outside, either me or, you know, hopefully, you know, but sometimes it would be someone else like who happened to be unfortunately like in her vicinity. Like I would feel this judgment. I would feel this, I don't, it wasn't shame, but I would feel this just like, oh shit, like I'm a bad parent. Mm -hmm. And the reality was that I had to work through that, right? I had to work through this notion that it doesn't make me a bad parent like she's learning to deal with her emotions and that is ultimately what I want in order for her to effectively do that like I have to learn to deal with my emotions right I can't suppress them I can't um not have them uh because that's not what I want for her either mm -hmm. did you ever feel like you were a bad bad mom ever oh yeah yes all the time mm -hmm. um you know, when I've, when I've, I think it's really easy to feel like a bad mom in today's society. And I think that it goes back to exactly what, how we started this conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Building the muscle, I honestly think it's a muscle of 
confidence to be able to stand in the decisions that you are making for your family that might go against the grain and be comfortable about that and be comfortable that it might make other people uncomfortable. And so the times when I have felt like a bad mom are the times when I've let other people's opinions or judgments um, impact me and and like sit in that for a little bit. And, um, you know, like that's okay. Like those are all learning moments. But for me, it comes back to, you know, the decisions that we're making are they, do they align with what we want to do as a family? Do they align with our family values, which are to, you know, raise kind humans who can stand up for themselves, but also care about others mm-hmm. um, and um, use that as my barometer. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important point to address for a couple reasons. First, so many of the moms that I've had conversations with have felt that. And I think there's something to be said about choosing to normalize the experience by saying that, I mean, once upon a time, that was real. That was a real feeling. I think even with this concept of reframing, at least my experience has been, is that even though I I know all of these different tools and mindset hacks, there's a part of it that I think And maybe I'm just completely misreading it. So this is just my experience (laughs) to begin with. But I've looked at reframing as it's a double-edged sword as far as it has the positive component. But then it it also sometimes made me feel bad about acknowledging some of those situations that were real once upon a time. You know, the situations where I did not feel as worthy in X, Y, and Z field or confident or even in your case, acknowledging a time where you might have felt like a bad mom you know, what's wrong with it? Just that was just that was part of the journey. Those were the experiences that you had to go through in order to develop the understanding that you have today. That's exactly it, right? There is this, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more of like the normalization of um, feeling like a bad mom, right? And just because you felt like that in the moment does not make you a bad mom. It makes you human. And, um, you know, that's how you felt at that moment. I, when you asked that question, I actually flashed back to this moment when my oldest was, she was maybe six weeks old. And I was reading um, one of the parenting books, The Baby Whisperer. And I was reading the book and it was talking about, you know, at six weeks old, at this point, you should like understand your child's cries. Like you should know the cry, the difference of cry between happy or not, well, maybe not happy, but like hunger and sleeping and like distress. And like in full transparency, like four years after this moment, I still don't understand the like. I still cannot decipher the difference of my kids' cries. Um, I and didn't know there was a difference. Me either. (laughs) I'm reading this book. I'm six weeks postpartum and I just start bawling because I felt in that moment that I wasn't a good mom because I could not decipher the cries of my kid. And I just remember throwing the book, it like hitting the wall and sitting there with myself and like this 
frankly, like pity party. Um, but then recognizing it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the book says. I am doing the best that I can. And, you know, my kid, was, Lucy was literally sleeping in my arms. And so like, I wasn't screwing it up that badly. Mm -hmm. And, and so just, I decided in that moment, like never to read another parenting book again. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I think it's, it's natural to ask for feedback. It's natural to read these books. And the way that I have been able to do that is like, I welcome the feedback. I welcome the different perspectives. And then I run it through my filter of what feels good to me. And that's how then I ultimately like make my decisions. Mm. You are the second person that I've heard within this past week that mentioned this concept of not choosing to read some of the children's books. Um, one of my other friends mentioned the same exact thing. And the reason why he said he chose to do that is because every journey is so unique that it's so difficult to figure out which of the steps previously described in some of the other journeys you should follow. And then the other concept is this, and I still haven't wrapped my head around it, so I don't know how it makes sense. But <laughs> I remember having a call, one of the Saturday calls that we do, and we're talking about this concept of parenting. And almost every single one on that call said, once you have your first one, everything goes out the window. Everything that you've learned, everything that you've read. It, it, and I don't understand why. Maybe you can help me um shed a light onto that perspective because I haven't experienced that just yet. But why, why do you think that happens? Why do you, th or was that, was that even an experience for you? Yeah. So I, yes, I guess to both those points. Um, and I think that goes back to why I've learned when I'm getting, you know, advice or feedback because everyone's journey is their own. You have to have some sort of filter because everyone like, we live in a world of opinions, let's be honest. Like everyone has an opinion and everyone feels that they can give that opinion. Mm -hmm. And that's fine and dandy, but you, I believe you need to then have a filter for how are you going to take that in? How are you going to take that advice and make it um, work for you? And mm -hmm. with parenting in particular, everyone has an opinion everyone has like the perfect solution but reminding you know all of us that that situation is their situation it might not work for you that's okay but maybe there's a piece of what they did that can work for you or maybe there isn't mm -hmm. and that's okay too mm -hmm. um but to your point around the you know for me I've often had conversations with friends that they say like they felt so prepared like they read all the books for parenting they um you know, did so many things. For me, I actually didn't have that same experience. When I went through my journey with infertility and then we lost my son, I actually decided not to read any more parenting books. Like I didn't want to prepare. I, I sort of went through this like, well, if young teenagers can have kids, like I, I can figure this out. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that was right or not, but um, it was just, it was honestly like a self-protective thing. I didn't want to know if anything else could go wrong in my pregnancy. Um, and I just don't want to deal with it. So for me, I can relate to that though, because I often say that my oldest is my mirror. She's teaching me everything that I need to like work on in myself. 
And so I could have read all the books. I could have read all of the blogs. I could have talked to 9,000 different influencers, but it wouldn't have mattered because she is her own unique human. And I needed to be able to adjust to what she needed. And in turn, she's teaching me what I need to know about myself. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine, Thomas, actually shared the same exact point. He has um, a younger child and he was telling me about this concept of how your kids are your mirrors. They'll help you see things that you don't see about yourself or have pushed down for however long. And I can, <laughs> I can definitely relate. It would be an interesting question to actually even ask my parents as far as what have the two of us, as, as far as my brother and I, have been able to help them recognize about themselves, their own journeys, and whether or not you choose to step into it and you know improve and look, look at that as feedback. It's a completely different story, but I do agree with, agree with you that I, I'll even take that beyond the family. I think we in general as people are mirrors to one another or can be at least. Agreed. Very much so. So I know that we have just a couple minutes left here. I wanted to give you an opportunity to briefly share what's the best way that people can connect with you. Um, do you have anything that's coming up, anything new within your journey that you would like to share with those that are choosing you to tune in? Well, first of all, if my story resonates with anybody, I would love to connect because I truly believe that um, you know, my mission is to drive community and connection through sharing personal stories. And so we all have those aha moments. And um, I love I love hearing, you know, and meeting awesome humans like yourself and, and hearing their stories. Um, so to do that, you can reach me in a few different platforms. So I have a podcast called This Is My Truth. It's available on all major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Google Podcast. I feel like I have to say that. Um, <laughs> and um, you can also reach me at my website, which is www.jessie.com. And then also on Instagram at This Is My Truth Podcast. And I would love to connect with anyone if, you know, my story has resonated or anything that I've said, or you just want to chat parenting and sort of being sometimes the black sheep we'd love to chat about that that's awesome <laughs> we'll make sure to include all the different ways that people can get in touch with you all the different links and then as well as the show to your podcast and in that section we'll make sure to include that it can be found on google podcasts right? <laughs> <laughs> just a brief, brief plug for google here <laughs> yeah just, just, just <laughs> Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our podcast so you can receive all of the latest content as well as all of the upcoming episodes. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next week.